All right. Hey, welcome. This is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. Now, we're doing things a little bit differently. We had some audio trouble, video trouble this past Sunday in recording. Our cameras actually got overheated by the sun. So I'm actually going to re-record the message as best as I can and give it for those who have asked. And I've actually had several people who've asked me if uh, when the message was going to be available. So if you're listening for the first time or just checking this in, this is going to be a little bit different than what, what was actually at Zion at the Park this past Sunday. Uh, I got to tell you, I cannot believe that we're almost done with our summer series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last week, the previous week, I actually talked about a better way of understanding this is instead of calling it the Lord's Prayer It should be called the Disciples' Prayer, because at the end of the day, only those who actually really want to follow Jesus mean the words they are praying. I mean, think about it, that you are praying that His will would be done in your life. You are praying that His name would be made famous. You are recognizing that He is our Father in heaven. So as we look at this, I want to real quickly reflect back on the previous week's message where we went through when Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, this is actually probably one of the hardest things for many of us is to think about is how does how do we forgive those who have hurt us, who have wronged us? I think about how difficult it is, especially in those moments of the deepest pains, those things that cut so deep that they stay with us sometimes for a lifetime. And it reminds us of the importance of forgiveness, but also our own forgiveness, that we need to be forgiven by Jesus as well. Now, I, I want to say it again so that there's no misunderstanding. Forgiveness for forgiving someone who has deeply hurt you is not always easy. In fact, sometimes it can take years to work to the point of forgiveness, or it's an ongoing forgiveness. Forgiveness also does not mean that you have to set your boundaries aside or allow yourself to be continually harmed by somebody who is toxic or abusive. It also doesn't mean you have to trust the person or even become friends with the person. Sam Storms, who is a writer for Acts 29, the church planting network, wrote these words. Forgiveness does not mean you forget what they have done. Forgiveness does not mean the pain of the offense ceases to exist. Forgiveness does not mean you no longer care about justice if there has been a deep wrong. Forgiveness is not a one-and-done thing. You may have to forgive many times. He goes on to say this then, so what is forgiveness? And I love this. Forgiveness is choosing to let go of the bitterness from the pain of the sin done against you. Forgiveness is not using the sin, the other person's sin, to justify your own sinful behavior. It's taking responsibility for your part in a problem or your sin after the problem. Forgiveness is no longer letting the sin done to us cause us to sin in response to that person. In other words, you don't have to respond with sin simply because somebody has wronged you. Forgiveness is choosing to let evil be met with goodness. This is probably the hardest one for me. And then true forgiveness is wanting God's best for the person who has hurt you. And that may one day mean the restoration of relationship. I say all this because what makes the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, so dangerous in the life of a disciple is that we believe in a God who actually gives us His Holy Spirit to help us become more like Jesus. We don't just trust God for our provision. 
We don't just ask God to forgive our sins and help us forgive the sins of others simply because we want to be good people. We do it because we want to get we want to give all the glory, all of the fame, all of the honor to Jesus. I know people who are not believers, who are wonderful, generous, and yes, incredibly forgiving people, and they really do mean it. This is actually who they want to be, even who they are. And sadly, I also know many Christians who are mean-spirited, stingy, and bitter, and will stand in church every Sunday and say the words of the Lord's Prayer with no thought whatsoever of whether or not it's actually affecting their life. I can say this because I've been that Christian, which leads me to this morning's part of the prayer. Uh, if you have your Bible or your Zion app, there are, you can now turn to math, Matthew 6.13. That's in the New Testament to the right. Now, there's technically two parts of this prayer, and we're going to just focus on the first one. And lead us not into temptation. Every step of the Lord's Prayer is an opportunity to sin, to miss the mark. Now, let me kind of show you what I mean by this. Even the very first part of the prayer, Our Father, do you know how many Christians I know who truly believe that they don't need to be a part of a church to be a Christian? Now, it's true. You don't have to be in church to be saved. It is not confess with your mouth and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that he died for your sins and rose again on the third day and go to church and you'll be saved. No, we put our faith in Jesus and we are saved. But here's the thing. When Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, we are reminded that we are meant to be a part of a community. And sadly, there are many who have chosen to leave church either because of a hurt, out of laziness, or even arrogance. They've chosen to abandon God's family. Now, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't leave this as a suggestion. Church is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You are part of a family. Therefore, the temptation is to believe you don't need the church to be a healthy, mature disciple. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that day, that word day is capitalized, approaching. The author of Hebrews is literally saying it was a problem then to think that you don't need to be a part of community to simply give up. But even the next part of the Lord's Prayer, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How easy is it, it is to forget that the purpose of church is not our personal entertainment or preference, but to come and worship and minister to the heart of Jesus. Therefore, the temptation for many of us is to think that church or worship is about us. I can't tell you how many times I've thought this to myself. I didn't really get a lot out of worship today. Well, here's the thing. The worship wasn't directed at me. What we should be asking is, did Jesus get a lot out of our worship? Or the next one, your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The temptation to care more about what I want for my life than what God wants for it to not care about the things that God cares about. And then two weeks ago, Derek, our executive pastor, talked about give us this day our daily bread, the temptation to forget, to thank God for the breath in our lungs, to believe the lie that we are self-made men or women, forgetting that the gifts and graces God has given us on a daily basis to provide for us, which then led us to last week. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or trespasses or sins. The temptation there is to try and earn forgiveness. 
or not take seriously how much the cost of our forgiveness, our salvation actually was. It is so easy to take what Jesus did for us for granted, to think that somehow I or you have earned God's favor and therefore earned our forgiveness, like I must have done something right to receive it. Instead of realizing how true the words of a classic hymn really are, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, the truth is, the longer I've been a Christian, the easier it is to forget how much I still need Jesus, especially when life is good. When Jesus spoke these words here in the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't just being poetic, he was being pragmatic. He knows firsthand the condition of the human heart is to forget, to be tempted. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Romans chapter 7. Now I'm going to read the Message Bible, which came from Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor and scholar and theologian who translated the Bible into common language. And the way he describes this, I love the language here. Listen to this. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. And now listen to this next part. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here. Now, you're listening to this, so you're not going to, you might raise your hand anyways. But if I were to ask you an honest question, how many of you have a thought or an action, a belief, a behavior, an addiction that has plagued you for years? You've asked God to take it away. You've read the books. You've done all the things. You've done the work, and it just won't leave you alone. You keep missing the mark. You're discouraged, heartbroken, tired may be filled with shame, wondering what's wrong with you or with God that the sin won't leave you alone. I know I've felt that way. Here's the problem. The truth is, for some of you, maybe for many of you, the problem didn't start with a particular sin, but rather a wrong understanding of salvation, what Jesus did for you. Here's what I mean by this. When I first became a Christian at 13 years old, I believed the forgiveness of my sin also dealt with my struggle with sin. Now, I knew when I prayed the sinner's prayer that I was forgiven, but I somehow thought that the minute I became a Christian, it would just be easier to not sin, like I was somehow immune to the powers of sin. It didn't take long for me to realize that wasn't the case. In fact, it was the opposite. See, there were things in my youth and in my life that before Jesus, I thought were okay. And then as I read the Bible, I discovered that they weren't okay in God's eyes, Now, all of a sudden, because of God's law, because of the Bible, things that I thought were perfectly acceptable, I now realize were not, that they were missing the mark, that they were sin. So what did I do? 
I took the next logical step. I just needed to pray more, go to church more, read more books. None of these things are bad, but they didn't seem to actually fix the problem. So then I turned to my last resort, a prayer that kind of sounded something like this, and maybe you've prayed this. Jesus, I know you hate the sin. Please take away my desire to, and then fill in the blank with whatever sin it is. And for a few days, I would white-knuckle my way, holding on for dear life, trying to do my best to not give in to temptation. I'd get frustrated with myself or with God, thinking I must not be praying right or doing something right if, it, if God's not taking away this particular temptation or sin. The issue is, as human beings, we are going to wrestle with the desire to make or give into the wrong choices, or what the Bible calls temptations, which is why Jesus gave us these six words in the prayer, and lead us not into temptation. So let's break what Jesus said here down just a little bit. It starts off with a prayer to let the Holy Spirit be our leader. Let me clarify here what I didn't say Jesus, what I didn't say. I didn't say Jesus lead us, but the Holy Spirit lead us. Here's why. It tells us in the Bible that the Father and the Son, Jesus, sent us, gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us to become more like Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit in us as Christians. We look to the Holy Spirit to lead us. Not to Jesus. We look to Jesus as the person we want to be like, but we need the Spirit's power to become like him. Romans 8, 5 through 6, those who live according to the flesh, or what the Bible describes as sinful desires, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So what does it mean to let God, to let the Holy Spirit be the leader in my life, in your life? If there was ever a time in history where this question should be asked, it should be right now. Because here's the thing. There are so many things leading us, so many different voices, so many different platforms that I think we might not even be aware. Let me ask a silly question of everyone. How many of you have ever found yourself led into the soul-sucking, time-wasting vortex of YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok? If you have a modern cell phone, I don't mean that flip phone from 2002, but a cell phone with internet and a web browser, whether it's watching an epic fail video to videos of cats freaking out over cucumbers, I bet most of you know what I'm talking about. It's easy to let these little 3 by 8 inch devices lead us, but there's more to it than that. Up until about 15-20 years ago, influencers were limited to a handful of people in the world. You were influential if you were known in your community. Maybe you were a movie star or a sports star, a notable religious or political figure. I remember growing up and the slogan was, I want to be like Mike, referring to Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And yet, those were the people who had influence. In our small town of Clear Lake, Iowa, with just under 10,000 people, to be a person of influence means maybe a third of the population knows who you are. But now, because of this little device in our pockets, we now have access to more influential voices than ever before. And not all of them are good. Now, I, I, there's a, a good side to the technology that we have. When I grew up, I was told over and over again that Billy Graham was was probably had more impact, reached more people for the gospel than anyone else in history. 
But now because of things like YouTube and Instagram and, and Facebook, you have people like Stephen Furtick through Elevation Church. Even Zion, we are reaching people that we never could have before. Millions of people are getting exposed to the gospel message because of the good, the benefits of social media. Now, I'm not here to rail on the woes and dangers of social media, but I do want us to think about how much easier it is to be influenced, to be led by the other voices that lead us, ones that didn't even exist 20 years ago. These voices don't just affect you or lead me. They lead our children and our grandchildren. So when Jesus is praying, he is teaching us an invitation to a real challenge. Who or what are you let leading you? Who are you letting lead you? I mean, think about that for a moment. What separates disciples of Jesus from others in our world is not our morality or our ethic. In fact, there are non-Christians that are more moral or ethical than many Christians. What separates disciples of Jesus is who we desire to follow. Jesus. Disciples of Jesus look to Jesus because they want to live and love like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which then, Jesus goes on to say, lead us. There's that pesky pronoun again. That word us reminds us that we are part of a bigger whole. We are part of a community. Now, I actually really like this reminder. It lets me know that I'm not alone in my struggle to let the Holy Spirit lead me. I think it's comforting to know that all of my struggles, the things that I'm doing, that there are other people that wrestle with this as well. We pray this prayer together. And it's the last part of the verse that really gets me. Lead us not into temptation. This kind of makes it sound like if we're being tempted, it's because God is the one who is tempting us. James, the half-brother of Jesus, actually wrote this in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If you're a little confused right now, I get it. I was too. Jesus just taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. But James tells us God does not tempt anyone. So which is it? Well, James is a helpful reminder. First off, James reminds us that God does not tempt anyone. But also James teaches us that I don't need Satan to tempt me. The excuse that the devil made me do it just isn't true. I'm perfectly capable of sinning on my own. I don't need help. So which is it? How can I pray for God to not lead me into temptation if God doesn't tempt people? To better understand it, we actually have to read a few verses before James 1.13, into James 1, 2 through 4, and then verse 12. Listen to what he says here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James makes it clear we are going to face trials. We are going to be tested. God allows tested testing, and sometimes he'll even send us a test. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, recently, I've started working out again. Before COVID hit in 2020 and we went through all of our stuff, I'd been working out consistently for a little over a year. Now, 
I've since allowed myself to slack off a little bit, but here's what I've discovered. And this is a, this is a real bummer. I'll be honest. If you want to get healthy, you have to watch what you eat and you have to work out. You have to put your body through a trial. There has to be stress. In order to get stronger, to get healthier, there must be some sort of tension. James then goes on to say this, Blessed is the one, this is verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, there's this word, trial. It's used two times, in verse 2 and in verse 12. The word in Greek, this is now for you Bible nuts out there, for you people who geek out over this, this is this. I love this stuff. The same word for trial and temptation, it's the exact same word, parasmos. It literally means it's, it's the same word. What changes, what's the difference between a trial and temptation, is not the word, rather what it does in you and to you. Let me give you another illustration, and if anybody's going to look bad in this, it'll be me. When I was in high school, I didn't do so well in school. I mean, I, I did really poorly. And one of the things was I just didn't take school seriously. I didn't read. I didn't study. I, I didn't even take tests. And so whenever the teacher would offer a pop quiz, and they did usually, not, not normally on the first day, but when they offered the pop quiz, I would get all kinds of anxiety because nobody likes to fail. And I knew that I had not studied. I knew that I wasn't prepared. And I felt like the pop quizzes were designed to make me fail. Here's the thing. Good teachers don't want to see their students fail. For my other classmates, the ones who studied, they weren't afraid of the pop quiz. Now, they may have gotten a little nervous, but the ones who took notes in class, who followed the teacher, who listened, who had read the book, when they had the pop quiz, they may not have gotten 100%, but maybe they got 8 out of 10. And this is the beauty of Jesus. When Jesus gives us tests, he's assuming that you want to follow him. He's assuming that you've read the book. He's assuming that you've took notes. He's assuming that you're paying attention to him as the teacher. And here was the problem for me. See, when I failed the test, who did I blame? I blamed the teacher. But the teacher assumed that I was being a student. And therein lies the problem. See, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're really praying is saying, God, don't put me into a trial I'm not ready for. But that only counts if Jesus is the one you are following. See, the quiz, the test, is a trial. It's a test to reveal how prepared that the student is. And when they pass the test, it was an encouragement. That's what James is writing. He's saying, listen, you're going to go through trials. God's even going to send you tests. But those tests aren't to see you fail. The test reveals two things. It reveals, one, how much you've grown, how far you've come, but also where you still need to grow. When we look at this, we're also reminded of this. And, and maybe, maybe you remember this. A lot of my teachers did open book quizzes, which meant that as long as I had read the book, I would know, where, if, even if I took notes, I would know where to look when the test came. Well, here's the challenge for us. God has given us open book tests for his followers. That, that's why it's so important that we know our Bibles, that we read our Bibles, that we sit at the feet of Jesus, that we go to church and are in community. God is regularly giving us open book quizzes. He's even given us the Holy Spirit as our constant teacher, our tutor through it all. Now, here's the thing. A disciple, another word for a disciple, is a student, a student of something or someone. For Christians, we're students of Jesus. 
which means Jesus is our teacher, which is why the Jews called him rabbi, which means teacher. Teachers give tests to their students to reveal two things, how far they've come and how far they still need to go. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're actually praying is, Jesus, you know where I'm at spiritually. You know where I'm at in my faith. You know my weaknesses. If I'm following Jesus, please don't put me in a test that I will not pass. Please keep me from away from the test I'm not ready to take. But that's only if I'm actually following Jesus. Typically, when we're tempted, we're not tempted because Jesus led us someplace. Jesus doesn't lead us into temptation. We're tempted because we took our eyes off Jesus. We stopped letting him be the one who led us. Let me give you some more examples here. When I'm tempted to eat that extra donut or that whole bag of Doritos in the middle of the night, or having those few extra drinks that push me over the edge into drunkenness. When I'm tempted to browse that site that you know isn't honoring to God. When you're, you're tempted to pick a fight with your wife right before bed. When you're tempted to make that snarky, biting comment because you're a little peeved. Or going down the five-hour rabbit hole of social media. We've all had these temptations in life. And maybe yours are different. We've all had different temptations. Let's be honest. In those moments... You're not tempted by Jesus. You're tempted by your own flesh. You're letting your desires, your fears, your worries, your appetites control and lead you. That's why the Bible describes us when we're giving into temptation as being a slave to sin. In other words, in those moments, our desires aren't just leading us. They've captured us. And there's this little sneaky little half-truth that's happened for many of us as Christians. See, we think the goal, what Jesus really wants is for us to just simply stop the behavior. So go on a diet. Give up your phone. But eating the donut, surrendering our hours of your day to mindless videos is not where the real battle is. Don't get me wrong. God cares about the behaviors because they are destructive. And he doesn't like destruction. We serve a God of life. What God really wants Where he really wants to lead is that space between your ears, your mind. Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul actually tells us, he says, listen, the people in the world don't have the Holy Spirit, therefore they don't have God's thoughts. They don't think the way God thinks. They don't have the Spirit working in them. But you as a believer... You have the Holy Spirit, and therefore you have the mind, the thoughts of Christ. Which is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 that we can demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God by taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Jesus. We capture our behavior by letting Jesus lead our thoughts. Now, this is the sign of a mature believer— The more we let the Holy Spirit lead our thought life, the more he will lead our daily decisions. The more you grow and mature in your faith, the more you are able to recognize when Jesus is leading you into a trial and when you are stepping into a temptation. Which is why James gives us a little bit more into insight when Jesus is our leader, the Holy Spirit is our leader. When he says this, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's the thing. You cannot resist temptation. You cannot resist the devil if you're not first submitting to God. Submission comes first. Surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit. And then when Satan tries to tempt you, even when your flesh tries to tempt you, you can say, no, I don't want to do that. 
When the Holy Spirit is leading you, you are thinking with the mind of Christ. You have a kingdom mindset. So how do we get there? Well, I want to give you a few practical tools, a few practical tips to help you let the Holy Spirit lead and take the lead in your life. The first was actually something my youth pastor taught me many years ago. The old principle was this, garbage in, garbage out. What you fill your mind with will actually matter. This is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now listen to this next part. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world is the directions. It's the things set saying, hey, follow this, do this. Once you've allowed the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, that transforms your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, part of that garbage in, garbage out, listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You'll notice what he doesn't say. Whatever is a lie, whatever is mean, whatever is rude, whatever is wrong, whatever is self-serving, whatever is evil or despicable, think about those things. No. He tells us to reframe, focus on good things, which brings us to the second tip. If garbage in, garbage out matters, so what we put into our mind will ultimately come out, well, the second is work the problem. God created you and me with brains that function with habits. Neuroscience is proving this, showing this over and over again. I've enjoyed reading books from Dr. Carolyn Leaf and other people talking about how God has created our minds to work with our habits. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm called to choose to daily crucify my life, to crucify my habits. In other words, to surrender them to God. Now, I'll be honest, not too long ago, I found myself in letting something other than Jesus lead me or the Holy Spirit lead me. I was letting my worry, my anxiety lead me. And one of the ways that I coped with this was I would binge watch Netflix till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And what would happen is as I was watching this and trying to cope with my stress, trying to escape, well, you know what goes really well with Netflix in the middle of the night? A giant bowl of Fruity Pebbles. I love Fruity Pebbles. The stuff is just delicious. And it was a temptation. Now, here's the thing. Was it Jesus? Was it the Holy Spirit who led me to the pantry to open the giant bag of Fruity Pebbles and make a bowl and eat it at 1.30 in the morning? No. Was it the Holy Spirit who led me to watch Netflix because I was bored or because I was stressed? No, I wasn't following Jesus. Jesus did not lead me into that temptation. My desires did. My own stress, what was leading me? And then over time, that became a habit. That habit took hold of me. So about three months ago, I made a decision. And now, I'll be honest, I've made this decision many times. I was tired of not letting the Holy Spirit lead me. I was tired of letting stress and distraction lead me. I know what God wants for me in regards to my health. And so here's what I was reminded of. And I want to remind you of this. We are not one-dimensional creatures. 
We are created with a body, mind, soul, and spirit. And when one of those, it's like a four-legged stool. When one of those is out of balance, everything else is out of whack. Here's what this means. When you don't take care of your body, it will eventually impact the way you think. It'll impact your mind. And what impacts your mind will ultimately affect your relationships. It reflects my relationship with my wife, with my children, with my friends, with myself, and with God. And then ultimately, it affected my spiritual relationship. I stopped tending to my soul. Here's why this matters. When I pray, lead me not into temptation, I need to first be honest and acknowledge that Jesus wasn't the one who led me there. I took my eyes off of Jesus. We all do that, which is why I still need the gospel while you still need the gospel every day. Because temptation will exist until, well, quite frankly, we're dead and with Jesus. (laughs) Until that point, we will have temptation. It's part of it. Which then leads me to the third tip. Choose new daily choices. If you and I want the Holy Spirit to lead us, to lead me, I need to give the Holy Spirit space to speak. It's hard to hear the whisper of God's voice over all of the distractions, whether it be social media, television, busyness of life, sports, hobbies, whatever it might be. I need to make choices that allow space. God gave me a brain, and our brains are desired by God for habits. So here's what I started doing. And I'm not saying you have to do this, but this is what I did. I've started working on developing daily habits designed to make space to let the Holy Spirit lead in my life more freely. First, I'm taking care of my body. I go to the gym three to times, three to five times a week. I learned that I can't go at night because I'll make too many excuses. So I've been waking up at 5.30, 6 o'clock almost every morning, and I go to the gym for about an hour and work out. Second, I'm trying to eat better. I'm trying to take better care of the literal garbage I put in my face. Third, I'm sleeping better. I'm choosing to go to bed earlier so that that temptation to stay up late and watch TV and eat stops. But here's the big one. I've started reading books that feed my whole self. Of course, I'm reading the Bible. Right now, I'm going through Exodus. But I'm also reading a book on spiritual formation, something to kind of help me be reminded of what it looks like to be a disciple. I've started reading a leadership book to help me become a better and healthier pastor and leader for the staff here at Zion. And yes, I'm even reading a fun book just because it's still fun to read a book that's just fun. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm having conversations. Why did I do that? Because those were daily choices. You know what one I've even started doing regularly now? Making my bed every morning. I'm using, there's this app called Momentum that it allows me to track habits. And I've got about 10 habits that I'm trying to do every day. And here's the crazy part. It's actually made it easier to hear the Holy Spirit because I'm using the resources God has given me. Sometimes we fall into temptation and sometimes we run into it. Falling in temptation is when you don't expect it. Things things are going to happen in life. But sometimes we take our eyes off of God and we simply run into it. It's the newly sober alcoholic who decides that he wants to go meet his friends in a bar and wonders why he drank. God didn't lead him to the bar. He made a bad choice or she made a bad choice. How many of you have started a diet only then to go to the grocery store and the first place you see, the first place you go is the ice cream aisle? Why? Out of habit. 
You know what's better in that moment than praying, lead me not into temptation as you're walking into temptation? It's simply choosing not to put yourself in the situation to begin with. Sometimes we will fall. Sometimes we'll fail, and that's why we need Jesus. And yes, when you follow Jesus, sometimes he's going to put tests and trials in your way because here's what tests do. They strengthen you. When you pass the test, when you do better, it encourages you, it keeps you, it reminds you to keep on going. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're really saying is, is God, you know me better than I do, and as long as my eyes are on you, please keep me away from things I'm not ready for yet. Because here's the thing, God doesn't want to see you fail, he wants to see you thrive. God is going to give tests, but those tests exist to help encourage you, to help you grow in your faith. When you've made the daily decisions to let Christ lead, to submit to Jesus, when you've created the spiritual habits that feed your faithfulness, when you've chosen to not just be spirit-led, but also spirit-fed, that means choosing not garbage in and garbage out, but letting wholesome, letting what God wants into your life and mind. When Satan comes knocking, when temptation comes knocking, you can resist because you've already got the Spirit's help. So here's the big idea. God is our leader. We need to let him lead us through the daily choices of our habits to acknowledge the problem and invite the Holy Spirit and God's word into the temptation. It's also choosing to not just let the Holy Spirit lead you. It's choosing to let him feed you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you found this helpful. And also I want to encourage you, check out the Breakthrough Breakdown, our podcast that we do. We had more great conversations on this. And if you found this helpful, do me a favor, pass it on to somebody else. Share it with somebody you love or somebody you think could benefit from it. And anything else, just leave a great comment. We're so appreciative of you tuning in and we hope you have an awesome day. God bless and let's make Jesus famous.